Welcome back, everyone, to the Female Footballers Podcast. I'm your host, Cassie Gray, and I am joined today by our mentor director, Haley Lucas. Hi there. There you go. Um, We just wanted to pop on um, and discuss a very important topic that has kind of rocked the women's side of soccer in America and kind of all over. Um, And that is all of the things going on with the NWSL. If you are unfamiliar with what I'm talking about, just wanted to um, kind of bring you up to speed. So on Thursday in the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League, um, there was a story put out by The Athletic. Um, It was published about two uh, accounts of two former players who claimed misconduct, sexual coercion by the North Carolina coach, Paul Riley. Riley was then fired by the Courage on Thursday, but those allegations sent off sort of a a wave of players um, obviously um, emotions about what's been going on. If you were also unaware previously, earlier in the week or the week before, the week prior, um, there were also, there's another coach that was asked to step down for emotional emotional abuse. And that was, um, uh, Haley, do you know his name? I'm blanking right now. It's the Washington Spirit coach. There we go. Yeah. Um, And so, his name, oh, there we go. His name was Richie Burke. That was what it was. The Washington Spirit coach was fired, um, I think, the week prior uh, due to reports of emotional and verbal abuse by players. Um, and then that kind of led to, on Thursday, you know, a lot of people calling out, you know, um, did, did people up high in NWSL know about this? Um, and it, we found out through, I think, Alex Morgan's Twitter that uh, Lisa Baird was uh, notified about some of these allegations earlier in the season and even a few years prior that he had had some of these issues and he had been asked back to coach. So um, people started to call her out and want to get her fired. And so as of, I believe, Friday, uh, the NWSL Commissioner Baird resigned amid all of this uh, scandal. So now we're kind of left with a lot going on and um, the players then the national women's soccer league uh, players association decided they pushed to have no games be played this weekend and um and they were granted that request so there's been no pro games being played this past weekend and now um everyone's just kind of in in this sort of mode of what next what's happening uh it feels like everything's falling apart so we wanted to discuss it today and um and just bring up some different thoughts that we had and talk to Haley about being a professional player. Although she's not in the NWSL, she's in, been in many other leagues in Europe and a lot of these similar situations have occurred. So we just wanted to talk about it today. So first of all, Haley, what are, what are your thoughts about everything that's trans, transgressed since Thursday? So there's, there's been a lot and I read the athletic article um, and it was actually sent to me by a friend of mine in France. So it's not just being heard around the US, but kind of the whole soccer community. And first and foremost, I just, I feel so terribly um, for the women that have been involved in this, probably the many more that are involved in these similar situations in the NWSL and in other leagues that aren't being reported, just the nature of how things are swept under the rug in organizations um, and the lack of protection um, that employees have um, in this context, specifically women is pretty troubling. So I guess the first thing is just um, that my thoughts and any resource that we can provide to these women, um, even if it's just to listen, 
I think is the most important and how much we support them and are here for them. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny over the summer um, when, you know, the Olympics were going on and everyone was talking about USA Gymnastics. I was watching all of these documentaries on Larry Nassar and some of the issues they have in USA Gymnastics. And, and I even thought to myself, um, I want to say I was watching it with somebody and someone's like, oh, thank goodness that doesn't happen in soccer. And my first thought, sadly, was, oh, yes, it does. And the fact that that was my thought, it's sad that we as women have to deal with this, uh, number one. And I, too, agree with you. I feel horribly for these women. And the other part that's super sad is that I'm not surprised and I'm angry that I'm not surprised, you know, and I think that's so, ugh, it's just so frustrating. And at least from my experience, like I have personally experienced um, nothing to this effect by any means, but inappropriate language or um, situations that made me feel uncomfortable as a player and as an employee from some of the coaching staff professionally in Europe. Um, and I, it's when you're in that situation, it's hard. Like in that situation, I luckily was felt comfortable enough to kind of call him out on it. Not that it changed anything by any means, but part of you, when you're in that power dynamic situation of a coach and a player is like, whatever you say to that person, they determine whether or not you step on the field. So I think that's just one of the most challenging parts of this whole situation is just kind of the feelings of helplessness and how to navigate these situations when one, it feels like you can't talk about it to other people because it is so uncomfortable, um, but also the ramifications it has on your soccer career. And the two women that were, came forward and talked about it, um, it was very clear in their playing careers that these relationships definitely change the trajectory of their soccer careers. Absolutely. And I think that is, um, it's just not okay. It's not it's not okay. And the fact that we're dealing with this in 2021, the fact that this is the, I think, what do they say? The most successful women's league, or is it the most right. financially viable? I don't know, whatever it is. And the NWSL has a great reputation as far as being the most competitive, maybe, and, you know, um, women's professional league. And it's just sad. It's, it's all of these at the top level. USA Gymnastics is a great another example. And you know, I was reading a lot of different articles about people's opinions on it. You know, a lot of men's teams chimed in and showed support, which I think was awesome. And a lot of organizations have chimed in to show support, but even some of them who did, you know, and I don't mean to call out U.S. soccer, but U.S. soccer had a statement about how this is not okay and blah, blah, blah. And we have the utmost respect for the women of the NWSL. And I'm sitting here like, I don't believe you, you know, like, I, I know I shouldn't say that on here, but I don't like, I, you know, like they, they're in an argument with the same women over equal pay. Don't tell me you have respect. Like it's just so frustrating. And I think for me, the biggest worry I have is hundred percent women should feel comfortable to say these things come out with them. It's not okay. And, and people need to be held accountable but it's also scary from their perspective too, is as a league, you're gaining this momentum, especially after 2020 and being the first league coming back from COVID and getting some airtime on big channels that we really needed. And it's like the more controversy that we bring up, it scares me that then we're going to lose viewership 
which is then going to ruin the league and these girls have nowhere to play or they have no they have less money and like it's it's so sad that that's the predicament you're put in that it's like don't speak up because then you're you just need to be happy with what you have and it's like no that's bullshit like you know right and the the many problems that are going on. I mean, I think that the big push before all this came forward was like the no more side hustles thing. Like not only are they being harassed, but they're also not being paid properly. And there, so there's, there's no good situation out of this. Of course, you're playing in the most competitive league, but I think we also need to think about that women's soccer and youth soccer in the United States is just very strong. And we have so many people. So we have some of the best players in the U.S. because maybe they don't want to live in a different country and play somewhere else. It's not always that the NWSL is the draw, maybe, but it's also just that this is where the players want to be. This is where their home is and all that kind of stuff, too. So I think there's a lot of factors there. Um, and I'm not saying that these other leagues in the world are perfect by any means. They're definitely not. There's problems everywhere. But yeah, I think the people are so concerned about keeping the league alive that they're willing to not take care of the individuals who make the league a possibility. Um, and that, and, and these problems are not new. I mean, whether it's from facilities like the sky blue FC problems that they had many years ago, where just the working conditions were not ideal, um, to yes, the emotional abuse I, from the reports and the allegations, Washington spirit coach, a lot of those were racially, um, motivated comments and abusive. So there's so many different problems and I'm glad that people are kind of saying enough is enough. And like you mentioned, people are coming out with statements, but statements don't really mean very much to me at the end of the day. It's, it's, it's action and it's doing something. And I think that, um, what commissioner, former commissioner Baird, um, said she takes full accountability and responsibility for it. But that was before she had resigned. And I'm pretty sure she was ousted by the board. I, I was going to say, so when I was doing my research, the New York Times said she was let go. Whereas yeah. like, uh, I want to say the Washington Post said she had resigned. So there were multiple reports of, sounded like ultimately she was pushed to resign. But regardless, it's, it's just sad that even, you know, I don't know that this is just still occurring. And, you know, when you were mentioning um, the racial with uh, Burke, I mean, wasn't it the OL Reign coach, uh, Fareed Ben-Steedy or something? He also resigned in July because of, um, they had said a, an incident during practice or something, but really he had been previously accused by Lindsey Horan in uh, PSG, right? For the way that he handled talking about body image issues and, and weight and stuff like that. So this kind of stuff, you know, I think the most frustrating thing is there's so many issues and everyone keeps saying, oh, it's getting better, it's getting better. But then this is happening this season on multiple accounts. And it's like, I think for me, what's really frustrating, and I thought that was very interesting. There's a girl named Meredith Rooney, who's a coach that I uh, we follow on Instagram or whatnot. And I've had some back and forth with her. And she posted a great like meme of, if this is happening at the highest level, imagine how many youth clubs that this is happening at and how we often think we need to fix things from the top down. Really, I feel like we need to start from the bottom up because all of these issues are also prominent, whether or not they're being reported on in every youth league, you know? Right. And I mean, there's definitely college programs where this same kind of behavior goes on as well. And 
I think the, when we talk about progress being made, I think the real progress is coming from people being, feeling more confident, feeling braver to step forward about these sort of things because it's becoming more accepted. I think a lot of times beforehand, people wouldn't come forward because they knew the system is the way it is and it's not going to change. And I think people aren't wrong for not coming forward and kind of being a little bit more selfish in terms of needing to put their needs before um, these other problems. But people are much more brave, I think, today because there is a lot more backing and support. And I, I am hopeful that this will be a real change. But like we said, we're not really surprised these things are coming out because things get swept under the rug. This was an issue in 2015 when it was happening at the Portland Thorns and nothing happened. So I'm really hopeful that it'll be different this time, but it's not just about replacing those, the commissioner and the general counsel because putting someone in the same role, a different person, that's not the problem. It's the foundation in the system. And it makes me sad that they're both females um, who were in charge, who were letting this happen. And I don't know, almost seems like, yeah, a conflict of interest in terms of needing to service the organization, but also not being empathetic enough to kind of put yourself in those shoes and kind of what that's like, because it seems like these responses are always so like an investigation has been held. Um, we didn't find anything, but there's not really a support element even if they didn't, because it's regardless of what happens, it still makes someone feel a certain way and someone felt uncomfortable and they weren't being taken care of. Absolutely. Well, and I think like you just said to me, biggest issue, I think that soccer in America and maybe soccer in the world is having is the systems and the philosophies that we run any program, whether it's collegiate, youth, pro, whatever, it's some of these systems and philosophies are ancient and we need to, you know, keep up with the times. I mean, I can equate it to the education system, being a teacher, it's the same issues where, you know, we have re report cards with all these standards, whereas the standards have changed over time and we've tried to become a lot more, you know, academic at younger ages. And then we're realizing that kids have no social and emotional skills and mm -hmm. we have to now put that into our teaching and it needs to be reflected on programs. But regardless, you know, it's like some of the systems in soccer will for sure, they've all reflected the male side of the game, which is sadly, it's different. You know, I think whether people want to think that or not, it's different. Like women are treated differently than men. And, and I know you've had these experiences and I'm much older than you. And I've had those experiences. And JT and I, in the last podcast, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about kind of how generationally, um, you know, some of the older generations within these systems in soccer feel that girls aren't being tough enough or they're not that, you know, that they just need to let it go or move past it. And especially in the emotional and verbal abuse side of things. And that that kind of stuff's always been happening. And I'm just like, who cares if it's always been happening? It's not okay. Like right. we're in 2021, we should be coming up with new systems and protocols and situations where we are dealing with these better because saying you're not tough enough is, is junk, you know? Yeah. Kind of two thoughts on that. The first one is like, this is the way it's always been. That's not 
acceptable. I remember even in college, like the freshmen would have to do stuff because that's what the seniors had to do when they were freshmen. And when I came in and I was a freshman, I was kind of like, don't like that. So when I was a sophomore, I said, no, you're not doing that. We're not doing that anymore because it just makes people feel uncomfortable. It creates a power dynamic that has no reason to be created. Um, and change is a good thing. We, if things are, things are the way they have always been, it's broken. So it's clearly not working. So we need to kind of change it. And the whole issue within soccer specifically, I mean, it ties into, it's much so much bigger. These, all these kind of situations, these men having certain opinions about women, that's not unique to soccer. And it's, it seeps into soccer because it's so societal. Um, whether that's from pay, whether that's from these coercion kind of things. I think it reminds me a lot of the Me Too movement. That's kind of what this is, but more specifically targeted at sports. I don't think we've, other than the Larry Nasser situation, this is one of the more public ones in sports that we've seen. Um, and it's great that there's light on it, but I think these issues are happening in every industry all the time. And a lot of them are just quote unquote, normal people that don't, um, aren't in the public eye because they're not professional athletes. And it's a systematic problem everywhere, but especially um, since we're so tied to sport and whatnot, it's something that we can kind of help contribute to and speak on, but systematic change needs to happen at every level, regardless of um, where it is, but it really does start from the bottom up, whatever it is. I think it's, um, it's funny. I've had the conversation over the weekend with multiple different people and even with some men and it goes like you mentioned, the Me Too thing has come up a couple of times and I've heard a few men say, well, we're not allowed to say anything anymore. Like that's their, their you know, we're, we're, we can't do anything, right? It's sort of this woe is me victim, victim thing where it's like, we can't, yeah, we can't say any, we don't know what we're allowed to say. And I, what, are, what are your thoughts on that before I go on my tirade? What, what are your thoughts when somebody were, if somebody were to say that? Um, think about what you say before you say it is probably right. the first thing. Um, and one, that approach will not help you get better or progress in any way. It's okay to make mistakes. And I'm sure in that kind of speaking, people are afraid to make mistakes because of this whole cancel culture, blah, 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 blah. But um, kind of having that indignant attitude doesn't show me that you want to say something nice or oh, say yeah. something better or make yourself better. It shows that you're not the problem. They're the problem. I also think it's interesting because like soccer being a well, sports in general are considered more casual than the business world and the corporate world. And I think there's always been this idea that because they're more casual, how you speak and what you say and what you can get away with, it's more casual. And I think if we want uh, things to be taken more seriously, then we have to create that culture and that environment. But again, like that to me is also a key word in all of this is culture. Like it goes back to, to me in, in the world of soccer, we are having a massive culture crisis. We have lost all ideas of what matters in sport and culture, in my opinion, is number one. I don't care how, I mean, like Kristen Press coming out recently saying she's taking a break is a perfect example of, I don't care if you're the best player in the world. You're not mentally there and the culture doesn't feel right. She needs a break. And like the, the players this weekend, their culture is completely effed up right now and they need, they need a break. Like 
I mean, just to note, we did reach out to certain NWSL players to have them on this podcast and nobody felt comfortable uh, to come on and talk about it, which I don't blame them. They deserve to have time to process. And um, it's a very emotionally charged conversation and it's emotional and I just feel for them so much. So we absolutely respect that they don't want to speak right now on any of this, but um, you know, it's just, ugh, it gets me so riled up. I get so angry. <laughs> Well, I think like we, the casual point is an interesting way to put it because it's true. We have different standards for sports organizations and especially on the women's side, of course, because they're just less established and we don't really have the business minds working in women's sports like we do in men's sports. You actually have really very successful, very intelligent people working in men's sports. Not that that doesn't happen in women's, but it's less, it's less common and that's partially a money problem. But the, we say, oh, it's just a business. Women need to toughen up. They need to do all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, this stuff is going on, which is totally unprofessional. Um, There's no place for it. And when people are recruited to companies more and more, it's not just about the money they're making. It's a good fit. It's a culture fit. And successful companies are successful because of the, environment they foster. CEOs at companies, good ones, are leaders that know how to manage their manage their, their teams. They know how to motivate their teams and they have to create environments that allow for that success. And right now, soccer is not creating the ideal environment in many situations. Of course, others, there are definitely exceptions to that rule, but I think we've noticed with our work, the teams we work with um, and larger trends that, like you mentioned, the culture part is being ignored and we need to focus. That is something that even that is setting standards for. We will protect our players. We will do everything in our power to make sure these situations don't happen. That's not a business decision. That's a culture decision that affects your business. Totally. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people are like, well, the culture is not going to change. It's just not doable. It's not possible. But if you're, if you're thinking of the corporate world, I mean, I think Dan Price is a perfect example, the CEO of Gravity Payment, where he switched the minimum wage for his company to, I think, like $70,000. It was like 2015 or something. Right. And in the years after his revenue rose, the staff was happier. They were able to buy homes and have families before that. And everyone was so against him in the beginning. And now he's also like continued to make more money from that. And that was a huge cultural shift that he only did within his company, but it's caught on to other companies. And his model of how he did things actually showed, I mean, the research now coming out six years later is it actually benefited his company and all of his employees. He put the employee first. And I just think when people have a negative attitude that that this kind of shift in culture can't happen that's such that's just not true it it can it's just you know it's going to take a lot of purpose driven uh work and I think that a lot of the time in soccer there aren't there you know I love the Oakland Roots is a great example they have a CPO a chief purpose officer everything they choose to do with that organization there has to be purpose behind it and and it has to align with their mission and I just wish more organizations, soccer organizations had that. I think Angel City is is going to come in with that like-minded. I think the San Diego NWSL team is going to come in as well with a little bit more purpose-driven behind it. 
I think Gotham FC is they they did a rebrand and I think they put more purpose into their organization. But I think that's to me where you're able when there's more purpose there, the culture takes a higher ranking, and then they're putting the right people in these positions and they're they're thinking about the system and how it's set up. And I think also culture is not just the there's a difference between creating a culture from the very roots and from the structural um, area opposed to just culture that is outward facing. Maybe it's like working for a high tech company and you have ping pong. Like that's not culture to me. Like to me, culture is establishing a tone, like you mentioned with that purpose, but also making sure the needs are met of your employees and establishing that we're going to take care of them. And that's from a financial perspective. That's from a, maybe it's an emotional support perspective, depending on the um, industry in sports, mental health. And that whole mental side is kind of defines your business. If someone's not in the game that day, that determines if you win or lose a game. So the purpose needs to be satisfying those needs of um, your employees and putting them first. Like the community is important and all that stuff, but making sure that we're, we're meeting the basic needs of our um, employees at companies. And yeah, not just saying like, this is our culture, but living the culture, doing the actionable steps to show that that culture is in place is important. Absolutely. And I just, I think, um, you know, having children who play comp soccer, I think that, like you said, we keep saying it needs to start from the ground up. And I have to say, um, youth sports, I feel like at least youth soccer looks towards U.S. soccer and some of these organizations to determine how they want to be run. But really, Mm -hmm. they can make those changes off the bat. And it doesn't have to come from what they're seeing. uh, Because they're ultimately in U.S. soccer, there's a huge disconnect. They aren't connected to the youth aspect of sport. I mean, for those people listening, hopefully you know that like U.S. the U.S. Soccer Federation has nothing to do with youth soccer in America. They started like U14 national teams. There's no affiliation with the youth sports that are in your own community. Yes, there's US club soccer, there's US youth soccer. Those organizations are connected to the different clubs, but those clubs can really make differences on a grassroots level. And they, I mean, working in them and and being a parent of, of children in them, they are so broken too. And I, I, you know, two weeks ago, we kind of had our coaches week in female footballers where we put out a lot of questioning, you know, do you feel supported as a female a coach of female athletes? Doesn't need to be a female coach, but just do you feel supported by your organization? And oh my God, it was an overwhelming no, um, an overwhelming, um, thanks for bringing this to light. Why is, you know, why is this happening? Like just so many people who are frustrated beyond belief having to deal with some of the things that that they're dealing with. And I think like, again, it goes back to like, we should be able to, um, you know, help in this regard. I, I mean, just to quote some of these, some of the responses from our Instagram stories, boys programs get more attention than girls programs. Sometimes people don't believe in what you do because you're a female coach. Lack of opportunities for higher level roles often given to men with less credentials. Coaching girls who had male coaches in the past that only coached and spoke in a certain way. Uh, somebody wrote being a man is a huge you know, deficit in coaching females. 
I don't earn enough money and my ideas are not supported by my club. Um, no respect from coaches and referees. Like, so there's, it just, just is broken at that level. And it's like, it's just a whole systemic mess. <laughs> well, I think it's hard also because when you hear these stories, it doesn't motivate more women to want to get involved and put themselves in situations where they're going to be made uncomfortable or harassed. Um, so it's hard to, to fix it unless you're willing to kind of do the grunt work, which is hard and it's, it's painful. Um, and thank you to all the women coaches who continue to do it and kind of continue to be involved. But, um, yeah, it's, it's not particularly attractive to want to put yourself in a situation where you're not going to be respected or valued just based on your gender. And I mean, again, I can equate that to teaching, being a teacher, we're at a massive teacher shortage in California. Um, and I think it's because of that, like the more, and, and coaches are in the same boat, um, but even owners and people at the top in these pro organizations on the women's side, you're like in an uphill battle financially. I mean, you know, we're right now trying to get a team in the Bay Area. It's been talked for years about it since the FC Pride left. And I don't know many owners, especially MLS guys, they're not, you know, those presidents and ownership groups are not huge because they know there's going to be immediately a bit of a, you know, they're going to have a loss, you know, you've got to know upfront that some of your investment with women's sports, with not having the same opportunities uh, in, in the media world, you're going to have a financial loss. So a lot of people, it's that same notion as a teacher, where it's like going in, you're up against a lot. And so again, if we bring it back to purpose, if we focus more on the purpose of why it's important that we have these people in these roles and we focus on culture and purpose, then, then you, you, yeah, you're starting from the ground up. Like if, if teaching got more of a, uh, a rap that we are change makers and that we care about making a difference in children's lives, more and more people would wanna be teachers because they're hearing about the value and what it brings to your own self because life should be about purpose but unfortunately and you know in our society we're all driven by money which is very different and so it's it's hard and I think coaches feel the same they're like yeah I want to make a difference it's my sport I love it but I also have to make a living and and the financial side comes up so it's just uh, it's just hard and frustrating <laughs> It's a lot. It is a lot. And, you know, again, to bring it back, um, we could not stand more with the NWSL players. We stand with you. We feel that protecting players' rights should be absolutely number one. I mean, as a professional player in another country, do you feel that you are protected? Do you feel that you're put first? Um. I think so. I have other than the experiences, some experiences I've had kind of related to the um, just inappropriate language and kind of just more jokes made at my expense. Um, it was no, which is harassment, plain and simple, but it's, um, I'm fortunate that I have had enough experiences where I've been able to kind of put this like, um, hell no, like kind of like being able to really fight back, which has because, because of that is, or the reason is, is because I've had so many experiences where people have crossed the line or, um, I've seen it happen and been like, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm not going to tolerate that. So it's been very on me to kind of 
step into those situations and kind of stop them, which is very hard to do. And I don't always feel comfortable doing that. And I think I haven't obviously experienced something that has kind of stopped me in my tracks yet, which these experiences just kind of tie back to this situation. Being in that situation, being able to stick up for yourself is so difficult in some of these situations. And I can't even imagine kind of just the mental state and the vulnerability um, that's experienced there. So the small scale stuff I've been able to kind of tackle, but very fortunate because of whether it's the systems or just luck that I haven't been in a situation like that, that's been that bad. But um, I haven't particularly heard or experienced um, things to that magnitude in the teams I've played on. I do feel um, protected, but I also um, think that culture, the language barrier is a problem. So I'm probably missing a bunch of stuff if there is stuff going on. Um, but the cultures here are just different, not necessarily one being better than the other or whatnot. But I do think that the level of casualness in Europe is a little bit greater and than it is in the US. Um, not to the extent that I've experienced these situations. I don't even know if I'm answering your question, but. And I, I love that last point of, you know, I think that um, there's a lot of this happening in Europe and other, right. and not just Europe, in other countries and professional, you know, yes. environments. It's not just here. Like it's not an American problem, you know? No. And I don't even think it's a, just, I mean, yes, it's, it's a female issue where we're, we're being harassed and things like that. But I, I think the power dynamics yes. within the sport is a systemic problem that is not a part of gender, you know? For sure. And I don't, I haven't necessarily experienced a strong power dynamic here in terms of like coach to player. It often feels a little bit more um, collegial, I guess, um, in terms of like, I feel comfortable talking to my coaches if they are a colleague rather than, um, someone who's significantly above me. Um, but I think that comes with age also, as you get older, you feel a little bit more comfortable in that regard. And I think that kind of ties back to like college soccer, for example, like that power dynamic is intense of an 18 year old and an adult. So that's a big thing. And I, I think it would be much easier if the language barrier wasn't um, as difficult in terms of me actually being able to listen to conversations and interactions between other players and the coach, because I can only gauge from um, the English that's spoken here. But yes, it's not an American phenomenon um, and it's a challenge. But yeah, I just, again, kind of back to the support of these women and just how challenging it is. I, I think it's, it's very difficult, not only these situations, but for me trying to be as empathetic as possible, but also knowing if I was in those shoes, I don't know what would I, what would I do? I think it's like, you kind of, kind of bring it to yourself too. And like, you would hope that you would come forward and all these things and kind of what you think about, but the, some of these situations are just debilitating. And yeah, kind of mentioning it back to like, how far do I want to progress my soccer career for the person that is in power, that's controlling it? 
And then when you try to go to the HR, nothing happens Mm -hmm. and it doesn't get fixed. And I do think the lack of HR problem is an athletic department problem. Like that's something that would happen in colleges. It happens at the pro level. It's just, there's not a separation of church and state there. Like there is in a lot of businesses. So I think that's actually a big problem that needs to be addressed. I think they just, they, they literally, what is it? Maybe half of the NWSL teams were just starting to implement HR departments this year. That's insane. That's just insane. Yeah. Like a lot of times, like for example, here, um, our coach was recently let go, but before that, he was basically the manager of our team. Also, he dealt with everything. If you had a problem, you went to him and that's not everywhere. And that happens in college too. Pretty much you go to your college coach, um, even at the pro level, they're the ones you go to for these things. And it seems like in this Paul Riley situation, he kind of was in a weird position where he made himself so open and available, where he tried to make people kind of whether it was malicious or not, I kind of argue that it might've been, um, to be as open as possible to make people feel comfortable where they could come and talk to him. And like the report said, reveal all that information that was absolutely so inappropriate that he should not have been, but that girls may not have also had someone else to go to in their soccer life that could, um, help them with issues they were going through. I think, and, and again, systemically, we see that at the youth sports level too. You've got your director of coaching, where most parents will go there before they even go to the coach. They'll just go to the director of coaching. But sometimes the director of coaching is an issue. So then uh, the board gets involved, but then the board is also parents. So there's a conflict of interest there. And so the whole system of how that's set up isn't set up appro- appropriately either, where there, there's going to be the right um, just, there's just not right, the right setup for, for somebody to feel supported on both sides. And I think, yes, collegiately, we see that a lot, I would say, like the coaches are the people you go to, there's no one else to hold the coach accountable. Um, but yeah, the fact that they don't have HR departments at NWSL, that there's no one these girls can go to and they go to their teammates, but then, you know, I mean, I think it's been great to see all of the, the different players in their players union coming up and, and the, the national team players all putting out statements, which help um, because a lot of people don't follow all the different players in the NWSL, right. but they might follow those US Women's national team players. So I think that's been nice that they stepped up and said stuff, but it's just so disheartening and we really feel for these girls. It's just not, it's not okay. And and I, I don't know where we go from here. I, I wish we were able to be more positive in, in what direction and how to help. I think for me, if I had to think of one way to help change the system in America on all levels, it would be what we're doing, which is implement whole player development at every level, meaning the four pillars of soccer, technical, tactical, physical, and mental, actually have uh, system set up for how to consistently implement the mental skills portion of the sport. That's a, a immediately going to help your culture, but it's also going to empower individual players to have a voice, to have skill sets to fall back on when things like this happen. If they don't, you know, there's, it's just, it's one tiny thing that I feel like we could all do and it can start and it can do happen at every level and it can start at the youngest levels um, and work its way up, but it has to be a sport thing, not a female thing, not a youth thing, not a pro thing. It has to be a 
all of soccer, <laughs> which is pretty hard. But. Right. And I think because the systemic change takes a long time, unfortunately, and we're more pessimistic about maybe that part of it, but knowing that that doesn't change right away, kind of like the think uh, local or think locally or think globally, act locally, um, is to kind of start with yourself and like, it, it is a defense mechanism in a way you're preparing yourself for this very uncomfortable world that we're entering um, at times and being able to kind of put yourself in the best situation to not only deal with these problems, but be able to tackle the challenges in a way that push that systemic change forward and kind of help change things and make things better. But yeah, that's what we're trying to do a small part in that, but I definitely feel like this part of my game in terms of like the confidence I was able to build and all these little things have made me a much more confident individual off the field where I feel more comfortable to stick up for myself or I feel um, more empowered to fight for other people and to help for other help other people um, in whatever capacity that can be related to sport or not. But it's not going to fix everything, but I think it's going to create more women leaders in the world who can be the next commissioner and make better decisions or who can be the next general counsel and not put women at risk like they have. So it's building women to be better role models and better executors in our community. And it adds a level of purpose to the overall game itself. You know, if you're just focusing on the technical, tactical, physical um, that's all very tangible and it's, um, it's a part of the game, absolutely. But like when you add the mental side, you're adding a different level of purpose into why you play, how you play, um, what you play for. And I think that that purpose infuses into the system and can change you know, the reasons, the, the type and level of person, like you said, role models, sure and stuff, but it's like, we're gonna get the people that are of the character that we, expect you know like i i don't have um enough knowledge to have a super educated opinion on lisa baird and the commissioner but i do feel that if you knew about something and you swept it under the rug absolutely get out of there you know right. but i do think that like in those moments having somebody of of the right character because they were brought up in a purposeful great culture type of system that could really help so uh, yeah, I think like that's something for me that, of course, when I always say to myself, like, if you're put in a compromised situation or an ethical dilemma, like, are you willing to step away from that situation knowing you did the right thing? And that's obviously very easier said than done. But I think because I have that sense of purpose um, and have really put that first, I think it's easier for me to make that decision and know that when I'm in that moment, I'll be like, yeah, that's not right. If I get fired because of it, that's kind of um, what it is. And of course, like I mentioned, easier said than done. You have to put food on the table and make some decisions sometimes. And I think that compromises things. But at the end of the day, this individual and many other individuals involved in this situation put girls in really, really dangerous situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so disheartening. So, um, well, we just wanted to kind of have this conversation because it's been on our minds for the last few days and we just, um, we really feel for all the players and everybody involved. And um, especially when there was 
you know, there, there's just been a lot of controversy this season and coming off of the, the past season where things were really, there was a lot of momentum being gained, you know, and I think um, in the, just in the last like two weeks, the controversy, I don't know if you saw the Bethany Balser thing where she was the 2019 MVP or something and they, she get, they gave her like a $50 Chipotle gift card for getting that. I mean, just all of these different things, the no more side hustles coming out, like all these different things that have just come to light in the last few months. We just, we really wish for the NWSL to find um, a way to, to put the players first and to be fair, pay them accordingly. Um, these girls work their asses off. Um, I had many friends who were in WUSA and the WPS and, and now in the NWSL. And these girls, again, they work multiple jobs the average pays $30,000 a year. Um, they, they, this is not okay. It's just not okay. And we've got to do things to change it. So we really just want to say thank you for listening. Any last thoughts, Haley? Two things. And I also would like to plug our college program. Yes, please do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I admire these women in the NWSL, not only for being ex- incredible athletes. I love watching the highlights, like all this stuff they do is amazing. Um, but being able to, they are trailblazers in that they're, they are the ones keeping this league alive. They're the ones who are, um, fighting and they're the ones who are going to make the difference for the little girls right now who are in youth sports where, um, they're going to be able to play professional soccer. And I'm, I am hopeful. I'm pessimistic in the short term, but I'm hopeful in the long run that, um, they're going to, these very challenging moments that, like we mentioned, very, very disheartened, but also care so much for each of these players, even if I don't know them, like I, I genuinely care about these women want their lives to be, um, as enjoyable as possible in the sport they play. It's a, it's a soccer game at the end of the day. We want them to be comfortable at work, but knowing that the hard work they're doing right now and the coming forward, or even if it's just telling someone and getting it out that they are making the change that's helpful for this next generation of girls. So that's really important. Absolutely. And then we're really excited, speaking of mental skills and all that kind of fun stuff, um, we are launching later this month, a women's college soccer community program, um, which is available to all women's college soccer players of any division, any level. Um, And what I like to kind of compare it to for point of reference is we're basically creating like a student athlete development slash SAC student athlete advisory committee, specifically for women's college soccer players that addresses these sorts of issues. We can talk about these um, topics as well as work on professional and personal development. So The program is going to be meeting twice a month. One meeting is going to be professional development, which we're going to work on your resumes, your interview skills, um, talking about NIL and branding, all those kind of things that will help you for life into pro soccer or not pro soccer after the game, as well as personal development. So working on these confidence skills, motivation, um, self-care. And we're really excited about the program. We're getting some signups. You can find the link in our bio on our Instagram page. We've had some posts about it, but it's going to be really cool. Yes, we can't wait. And we thank those of other organizations that have shared um, our posts about that. Thank you. Uh, The more the merrier, please get the word out. Um, It's going to be awesome. And we're really excited to to support collegiate players any way that we can. 
Well, thank you so much, Haley, for your time and your thoughts on all this. And um, thank you listeners for joining us. And um, we will keep you updated as this story unfolds and things change. We will chime in here every now and then when, when we can um, about what we think as things continue. So, all right, have a great week. Thanks so much. <laughs>